This podcast is brought to you by sarahraven.com, which is home to everything you need for a truly beautiful and productive garden. You'll also find great and essential gardening kit and stylish, lovely things to have in your house to bring the outside indoors, all inspired by the garden and the house being tied together. There's also plenty of garden inspiration, how-to videos and specialist growing guides. So head over to sarahraven.com today to discover even more. Welcome to Grow, Cook, Eat, Arrange, the podcast of me, Sarah Raven, and roving guests. A repeated one, including Josie Lewis, who's our head gardener here at Perchell. Welcome back, Josie. Thank you. And I actually thought it might be quite entertaining for us to discuss something that we don't agree on necessarily, or, or we both have rather divided opinions about, and those are the massive winter and spring flowering bulbs called amaryllis or hippiastriums. I'm going to ask Josie first of all what she likes and doesn't like about amaryllis and then I will also offer my opinion. So Josie, tell me about the pros and cons in your personal aesthetic view of amaryllis. Okay, well I was like I just like to say I was slightly surprised that you asked me to come on and talk about amaryllis because you know my opinions. They are, I understand why people love them. You can force them in that dark time of year. So even after Christmas, you know, if they, there's a lot going on at Christmas, so you don't necessarily need them flowering then. But after Christmas, you know, I can see why people love them. They're, they're just gaudy. I, I think of them, Arthur will appreciate this, as flamingos, the yeah. one-legged with a lot of fluff on top. They just don't appeal to me. I mm. think they're just so big and over the top. Mm. And whatever you do with them, they look out of place. Mm. Uh, you know, the leaves are ugly. Okay. <laughs> it's um, funny. So I was in my mother's garden this morning and I was looking at those crinum lilies, you know. Yes, those. yes, yes. So do you dislike those as well for the same reason? Well, in a way, I don't mind those because you can slot them in if you've got sort of a Mediterranean, South African type garden. Okay. There's a place for them. Was amaryllis in your house, you know, really? <laughs> no. But the only one I would forgive is is the spider ones. So yeah. they're more delicate, aren't yeah. they? But the big trumpet, bright, gaudy reds. No, yes. thank you. Like red uh, lion or whatever. Yes, that's yeah. it, yeah. And, you know, people often plant them in singles in yes. pots. And they're just not good. You yeah. know, if you can get three in a pot, it improves it. Mm. And if you can put in an understory of something, that helps as well. Mm. Uh, what would your understory be? The fern, I suppose, that would mm -hmm. put up with the heat, you know, sort of an mm -hmm. evergreen. That, no, not something that flowers. You couldn't have anything competing with, with that, really. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah. So, am I allowed to to put, put yeah. their case now? So we're having a yes, debate you here, defend them. <laughs> <laughs> so, I kind of know what you mean. And do you know what? In lockdown, which was in March 2020, as we all remember, we had a whole lot that suddenly came into flower in March. Because, of course, what I want to tell everyone is that you can force amaryllis for Christmas, and they have to be 
cold and then heat treated to force them to come earlier. And there are naturally earlier flowering varieties. But actually, amaryllis naturally flower at Easter, not Christmas. So they naturally flower in South Africa, where they come from, and I think Mexico, in March and April. Okay, so that's one thing to say. So, so we are there. We are in lockdown, and my family was here, which was completely and utterly lovely living here. And in the classroom in the school, we had about thirty amaryllis bulbs that had been collected over the years, and they were on the, a shelf in a sort of quite darkish classroom. And initially, when they came into flower, I was just wowed by them. I thought oh, I'm so grateful to you because you're looking so sort of splendid from the last week of February and, and through and into March. And then we were all in there in lockdown because we had sort of home office, obviously the first time, and everyone was, a lot of people were working in there. I mean, my two kids and and we all got to really hate them. <laughs> and so I do know what you mean because of the chunkiness and the gaudiness and the sort of overall rubberiness of And the them. toppling and the toppling, so they do need careful staking. But, 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 I'm here as their proponent. And last February, we were on the road doing our away days, uh, Caroline Neville and Arthur Parkinson and Jemima Reed and I, and we had this bowl that you had planted, a terracotta bowl, with three bulbs of amaryllis nymph, which is a double, which is a cream base and a sort of apricotty, slightly salmon-y kind of stripe, which sounds not very nice, but actually really beautiful, with quite a lot of green at the center of the flower. And they were staked with a nest of woven silver birch in this big pot. And we shoved that in the back of the purple van for our away days. And out it came, we put actually bubble wrap around the outside of the silver birch. And out it came and it made this absolutely magnificent table center wherever we went and we just put fairy lights over the silver birch and we put moss and then dried leaves over the compost surface and people were just blown away by it and so was I it was just amazing and each stem of the amaryllis nymph had three flower heads at the top at any one time And each of those flowers lasted about 10 days before they went over. And then we could just remove them and that would still leave two. And then if it's when it was down to one, it didn't look quite so good. But then suddenly from below, another one would erupt and you get this spear coming up again. And so genuinely from something like the first away day, a lot of teaching week in the last week of February, until Easter, which I think was early April this year, can't quite remember, we had this incredible table centre from three bulbs. And that won me back on Amaryllis, which is why I made you talk about them. (laughs) (laughs) Because I just feel they, for a certain place, and I completely agree with you, I think three is better than one, which obviously makes it expensive, but makes it more of a show for a hall table or if you've got a big, long sort of refractory kitchen table or even one bulb in a salad bowl but made with a nest to make it more into a mini landscape. I think there are few things that can compete with that showiness for February and March. Yes, <laughs> if you want it indoors. Yes. Yeah, I, can't, I can't really bring lovely narcissi indoors, can I, and compete with them? Well, Um, good point. Anyway, 
So that, those are the pros and cons, I guess. And I agree with you. I love the raggedy, crazy, spidery ones. But do you know what? They have a vase life of about five days as opposed to 15 days, uh, which with the, or even 20 days with the doubles. Yes. And 12, 15 days with the standard singles. Because they're good for cutting as well, aren't they? Mm. They're amazing for cutting. Yes. And there is one thing that you, if you've heard me talk before, you will know, but with amaryllis, if you're using them as a cut flower, you must insert a bamboo cane or a stick from the garden or whatever up the hollow and put a rubber band at the end of the stem to stop them, the stem end splitting and curling up like pig's tails. So they are a very good cut flower. But anyway, let's stop debating. Let's just assume that our listeners either hate them so they've turned off or they love yeah, them and they want to know more facts. <laughs> Because, Josie, you are very good at growing them, even if you're not yes. overly fond of them. Yeah, I do, I do feel obliged to grow them because they are quite a show. So the bigger the bulb you can get hold of, the better it is. It, yeah. And don't throw them away because each year they'll yeah. get bigger and bigger yeah. and send up more stalks. The spiders, like Papillo, uh, that I yes. was defending, will send up more. They're shorter stalks but they'll send up more than the big ones like Mandela. Yeah. So, yeah, when, you, when we get them in, you can rehydrate the roots. Um, so sit them in shallow water overnight. Okay. Uh, and then we pot them in terracotta because you need that ballast, don't you? Because mm. they're such top-heavy bulbs. Yeah. So you need quite a big pot. Mm. But the pot doesn't want to be much wider than the bulb, an inch or so, you know, couple of fingers width down the side of the bulb that's all you want around it and if you're if you're putting three in a pot obviously you know cram the, cram those in as well yeah uh, and then pl just plant them in good free draining peat-free compost and have the top third of the bulb poking out above the compost if you read online there's quarter out third out all sorts of but we plant them with about a third showing yeah at the top yeah. Because you don't want them rotting, they're quite prone to rotting. And then once they're planted, don't overwater them. You know, they need yeah. to start forming their roots. Yeah, yeah. So leave them quite dry, you know, dry out in between each watering until the leaves start to appear. And then really treat them like a normal house plant then and water them normally. Yeah, anything else that we need to add about planting them? No, I think that's right. I mean, as Josie says, they are very top heavy. So I think it's the depth of the pot rather than the diameter of the pot that's so important. But I remember, and this is, you know, one doesn't remember very much at my age, but I do remember my <laughs> twin sister being given an old, I never know which is, you, you know, where you have a, a jug inside a bowl, There's, they're called a ewer and basin. So I suppose the jug is the ewer. Is that right? Oh, anyway, she yes. was given this really beautiful set from a junk shop, antique shop, from a work colleague. And I remember, and it must, it must have been in her mid-twenties. So, you know, this is 35 years ago. I remember this basin filled with three amaryllis bulbs that weren't that deep, you know, because this was a, a bowl, a shallowish bowl. And they looked absolutely incredible. And I do think as a sort of Christmas gift, getting a rather beautiful bowl that the person that you're giving it to will will keep forever and the bulbs which the person will keep forever if you know because you really really mustn't chuck them out and we will move on to what to do once they finish flowering but that's the point is it's just ah, 
So I'm, I'm banging on for the pro again. I just do think they make a fantastic present. But what was interesting to me is that I'd always thought they needed really quite a deep a sort of pot to give them that anchor, really, of their juicy roots. But actually, this wasn't in a particularly deep pot. But I suppose the breadth of it may, it sort of was the ballast in a sense. So it was this big bowl. How were those staked then? They were, they were, they had With some twigs kind of twigs them. around. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think that's important, isn't it? Yeah. To get the twigs in early on before they start to, yes. to splay out. Anyway, so then once you've, you've got them into flower, and they must be brought inside to do that, mustn't they? they? They really, I mean, you need to think of them as something that flowers in spring in hot climates. And so I remember when I was on Gardener's World, them telling us that the best place to grow amaryllis, I remember doing an interview at an amaryllis nursery, was on a shelf above a radiator, which, you know, you'd think would be so desiccating. Yes. But yeah. to actually push them on to flower early, yeah. apparently that's quite a good place to put them. Yes, yeah, they do like that, don't they? And they can be in quite a warm window, but once the leaves start and the flower spikes start, then you need to move them away from that, Yeah, you know, into the centre of a room, really. They'll put up with that sort of okay. filtered light and start feeding them with, something like a, a tomorite type oh, of food as really? well to as promote flowering. Ah. Uh, yes, yeah. If you think about the bowls, there's not much compost around them, no. really. And I know they they have all the food in the bulb, but it just, just helps them a bit to promote flowering, okay, to push and, them on a bit. And more flower spikes, perhaps. Yes, possibly, yeah. yes, yeah. 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 Okay, and then, so once you've got them into flower and they're flowering away, then how to sort of keep them going as long as possible, I suppose, is temperature, isn't it? So keep yes. it very... Yeah, cool pretty, them down. And pretty constant. Yeah. Not sort of swinging up and down, up no. and down, up and down too much. Well, it's the trouble with us centrally heated homes, yeah. isn't it? It's, you know, cold at night, really warm in the daytime sometimes. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's sort of a quite ambient temperature. Whatever you can... That would be the best place for them. Yeah. And uh, then what? Like you were describing, deadhead them, you know, pull off the spent flowers. And if the whole bowl or, or if it's just an individual, once that the flower's gone over completely and there's no more spikes coming, you can leave the stalks, just take the top off because oh, the, yes. the stalk is photosynthesizing and building up the bulb uh, as well. Uh, once the stalk goes yellow, then you can cut that down uh, and just, just leave them, you know, keep, keep them you you can still feed them at that stage because you're building up the bulb as much as possible mm. uh, and then once it comes to early summer you can you can put them outside if you've got somewhere dryish mm. you know you, you don't want them in soggy but they'll just carry on green or some some will just carry on through the summer you know they'll just keep their leaves and mm. they get a bit tatty don't they over mm. the summer and then you've got to decide should I cut them off at some stage yeah. Uh, and let them dry out and they just need a dormant period yeah. period late summer going into autumn yeah and they must have that mustn't they because otherwise yes. they then yeah. don't th that doesn't promote the flower that's it yeah so they need spark that spark off the flower yes production yeah to yeah, so keep them cool and dry then for a, for a couple of months i would think and then you start it all over again <laughs> Okay, well, I think you're pretty loud and clear what Josie thinks of Amaryllis, but um, <laughs> I hope I've put a case enough. I mean, I just think, I remember Arthur saying they were the flamboyant clowns of the winter house. And I kind of, 
I kind of agree with him. You know, I just think once the Christmas decorations have gone and the tree's down and it's all feel a bit dismal. I mean, you've got hyacinths, which I love because of the fragrance. But then, you know, by February, March, even they're beginning to tire and the paper whites have gone. And that's the moment, I think, for Amaryllis to uh, really be centre stage. But uh, Josie, let's just move off them then and just you, you give us the things that you would rather have as alternatives in the house to really cheer the mood for sort of mid-February to when the tulips come out kind of six weeks later. Yes. Well, hellebores will be in their prime. Yeah. So you have them in smallish terracotta pots Mm -hmm. and then you can bring them indoors. You know, if you've got a party or something, just just bring them in. But they need to go out Mm -hmm. as well. You know, Mm -hmm. they they can't be hot for weeks on end. They're they're temporary housemates. Yes, temporary, yes. And there's... The Helleborus niger, which we all know is the Christmas rose. Mm. And then there's the the newer ice maiden, which Mm. is the same, but bigger flowers, Mm. uh, which are really nice. And of course, we always bang on about Merlin and Maestro, don't we? Uh, Maestro starts before Christmas, really, and goes goes on. And then Merlin takes over. Mm. And they're very beautiful, aren't they? Yeah. And I love Winter Bells, which is the one that I think was bred in Holland about five years ago which has quite a clutch of green bells. Oh, yes, at the I top. know. Yes, and, yeah, really um, pretty. I mean, that was bred as a houseplant, but I actually think in yeah. the garden it's beautiful too. I, I'm, yes. I'm very keen on that one. Uh, and it seems to be a little bit more tolerant of being bought inside. Certainly on bike rides around Amsterdam in the winter, you quite often see uh, window boxes full of winter bells looking really elegant actually yes and as you say they can come here as a house plant for a bit but not uh, yes permanently yeah. yeah and it's the same with any of those you know you know i love narcissi mm. you can bring them in for a little mm. uh, for a spell inside but they need to go out and viola's the same thing yeah. you can keep those going all over the winter if they've got somewhere sheltered you know they usually have that rest don't they when yeah. it, the darkest coldest bit but if you've got a, a porch or somewhere sheltered, you know, they'll they'll keep going on and off. So mm. I obviously like the more delicate things, you do. don't I? You're a delicate, <laughs> you're a delicate viola. Yeah. You're a delicate pansy person. <laughs> yes. yes. And uh, yeah, viola cornuta instead of pansies. Yeah. So yeah, again, yeah. the more delicate version. Yeah, I agree with you. And I actually love polyanthus. I mean, I think there's almost yes. nothing yeah. nicer. I mean, it was a Vita Sattva West tip that... She would go out into the garden in November and she would dig up clumps of primrose, polyanthus, the ground cover viola called something like Labanotica or something like that. Oh, yeah. Uh, yes. Um, yeah. Something like that. And cowslips that she would have marked that would be dormant, but she would have marked them, snowdrops, hellebores, and she would put them into trays and then put them in cold frames and then one by one as as they came. Actually, she even had a little, almost like an alpine greenhouse that she stored on shelves. And as things uh, were forced into flower, you know, three or four weeks early by being under glass or being undercover in some form, she'd bring them into the house. And again, just like you say, not not for very long, just for a week or so, and then back out to the coal frame to keep going a bit longer and then bring them in. And she would have this moving cast of potted plants. And so if amaryllis really aren't to your liking... (laughs) then there are lots and lots of things like that. And, you know, even I really love, we have a wavy edge pot here, um, a scallop edge pot 
that we have rosemary prostratus in. Yes, yeah. And I love just bringing that in in the winter and, and maybe putting a candle in the middle of it or whatever or some fairy lights. It's just nice to have that fresh green, isn't yeah. it? And that, that just and that smell, smell of something exactly inside. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, there are lots of alternatives. And of course, Lily of the Valley is a classic thing, again, that, that you can force if you know that you've got a really well-established drift or clump of Lily of the Valley, it tends only to happen in very well-established gardens. But my parents used to have a really massive drift near what was the outside loo. And we would always go to that little, no, large patch and dig up just a little clump and put them into two or three terracotta pots, put them in a cold frame, and that would bring them into flower. I mean, probably six to eight weeks earlier than they were outside. Yes, and that yes. always felt like sort of, you know, almost like a real steal. It was like a real lovely treat, sort of slightly cheating the seasons just by, because of course they're shade plants, but just by, they were happy for that brief period in a pot in quite a dry, sort of brighter environment. Yes, and always nice to, once they've finished, done their bit indoors, then they go and plant them back out again. But yeah. they go again. Exactly. Very good. Well, thank you, Josie. I think it's always good to have um, sometimes discuss things. <laughs> yes, we don't always agree about everything. No. And <laughs> and that we, um, you know, I'm sure there are plenty of our listeners who love Amaryllis and probably equal numbers who don't. So um, maybe it just has got you to think about are they yours or are they for you or not? But uh, I don't know, for a, for a for a December Christmas vase, I think it's hard to beat. Cut amaryllis, perhaps with a couple, two or three lilies to give you the scent because they just last such a long time. So I Christmas in Scotland, there the really aren't flower shops for about four hours away. And I can take a box flat packed of amaryllis, undo them, put the bamboo canes in, put them in a vase and, you know, if I arrive on the 20th of December, they're still looking perfectly okay when I pack up the car after Hogmanay to come south again. And that's why I suppose I've got fond of them, is that they they give me something alive. And yes, yeah. even if cut for that particular moment in the winter. Thank you, Josie. Okay, pleasure. Thanks so much for listening to Grow Cookie to Range and us chatting about amaryllis. And next week, I'm joined by our senior horticultural buyer, Gary Newell, and he'll be talking about the best climbers for planting now. You can find more information, photos and advice sheets on all the plants and recipes we talk about on this podcast by heading to the show notes or at sarahraven.com forward slash podcast.